Open the eyes softly and we'll do our invocation to Patanjali. Uh, let me share the screen with everyone. Okay, so this is the invocation to Sage Patanjali, and you can read in or sing in with me or just listen in. Yogin Chittasya Padena Vacham Malam Sharirasya Chavadya Kena Yopakarutam Pravaram Muninam Patanjalim Pranjaliranatosmi Patanjalim Pranjaliranatosmi Abahu Purushakaram Shankachakrasidharinam Sahasrashirasam Shvetam Pranamami Patanjalim so, meaning is given here. I respectfully bow down with folded hands and offer my salutations to Sage Patanjali, the highest among the Munis, who has presented the remedies for removing the impurities of the body through his treatise on Ayurveda, of language, through his treatise on grammar, Patanjala Mahabhashya, and the impurities of the chitta or the mind through his treatise on yoga, yoga sutras of Patanjali. And the next uh, verse is slightly different in, in a different meter. I bow down to Patanjali whose upper body is of human form, human shape, who's carrying a, a conch, a discus, and a sword, and has 1,000 bright heads. Anyway, uh, uh, so that's what I'm, I'm uh, this is the whole purpose of these discussions on, on third Saturday has been to understand the concepts presented by Patanjali. And we have been going at a, a reasonably slow pace, once we try a time. And that way we try to get to the kind of the, you know, the, the basic essence of each sutra. And that's why it takes almost like two years to complete the whole sequence. And like I said, Right now, we are almost toward the very end part of this discussion, which we started almost two years ago. Okay. So uh, right now, you know, we did the eight limbs of yoga introductions and all that. And does everyone know the eight limbs of yoga? Chandu, are you familiar with them? Sorry, I, I do not. Okay. All right. So the Patanjali talks about these eight limbs of yoga and... Uh, let me see if I had that slide somewhere. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. Uh, basically, what he says is that you have to progress kind of progressively and get an understanding of these eight limbs of yoga. And the first two are yamas and niyamas. All right. Yamas and niyamas being the moral, ethical, social, behavioral, all kinds of guidelines that will 
help you lead a life that eventually becomes very peaceful, mentally calming, etc., and not uh, not bothered by by the uh, normal uh, stresses and strains of life. Okay, so that's the whole concept of the. Go to actually open this this slide. I think one the slide before this at least mentioned the eight of them, if I'm not wrong. I'm going to actually I'm going to open this slide which lists the eight limbs of yoga. Let me just get there. Uh, that way, you know, I will have right in front, just one second. Okay, so now the eight limbs of yoga, all right, so this is the slide which kind of lists the eight limbs of yoga. And the first one is Yama, there are five of these. The second is Niyama, again, five of these. Asana is the physical posture. Pranayama is regulation of breath, or understanding how the breath can be varied or modified. And Pratyahara is the ability to, to turn the senses inward. Now, the, remember the five senses are the sense of smell, touch, taste, etc. They are the constant uh, inputs that the body receives, and that's what distracts our mind most of the time. Any, any smell, any touch, any sound, etc. And so we want to develop the ability to not be bothered by these sensual inputs. Okay? And then dharana, dhyana, and samadhi, just like Ashish was mentioning, these are the final three stages, and these three are the stages of meditation. So we go through these three stages of meditation. Dharana, and samadhi. Let me go back to yama very quickly. The five yamas are things like non-violence, telling the truth all the time, not, not hurting anybody, not stealing anything, etc. You know? So those are the kind of guidelines for yama, which are more related to uh, interacting with others, basically social interaction. Niyamas are the guidelines for self-discipline almost like how do you uh, apply this to yourself there are things like cleanliness purity of the body and mind uh, contentment uh, ability to withstand hardship tapas as they call it okay swadhyaya and ishwar pranidhana etc or surrendering to the ishwara or god those are the yamas and niyamas like i said they broadly think of them as social guidelines, moral guidelines, moral in the sense that you don't want to hurt anybody, you don't want to tell a lie, etc. So more in that sense. Okay. Then of course you go through physical posture, pranayama, pratyahara, etc. And then finally, like we said, dharana is the initial effort to bring the mind into a single point of focus. That's the initial effort, you can call it dharana. So that becomes the first stage of meditation. 
when you're able to bring that mind to a single point of focus, then you transition into what's actually called dhyana. Dhyana is where you are now trying to deeply focus on one single object of meditation. And in most cases, uh, well, I, would, I wouldn't say most cases, but it, one of the more common techniques of meditation is what we call mantra meditation. And I mentioned this because that's the technique that I've been following myself and that's what I teach. Uh, it's called mantra meditation, where you actually uh, recite a mantra in your mind constantly. Okay? At the, uh, hopefully, or at the, the idea is to, at the, at the exclusion of other thoughts, other objects coming into the mind. <coughs> that's the book. Once Can I ask that, a question? Yeah, please, please, anytime. So, because uh, my dhyana, my meditation, I, I close my eyes and uh, first initial of passing out the clouds phase, like things come and go afterwards, after some time, I zone out into my, the orange color that comes in front of my eyes, my eyes are closed and I will be in that zone, you know. I will be sitting in that for probably 15 to 20 minutes or 15 minutes so far in that zone without, I mean, that's what uh, that color that comes into my state being steady and stable. Is that okay or is, you know, that is... that's not okay. That's beautiful. That's absolutely what's desired. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's exactly what we want is the ability to stay in a state of mind where there are few, very few distractions, if any, whether it's a color, whether it is some other uh, feeling or experience that you have, everyone has a different experience. Yes. Okay, everyone has a different experience, you know, that state where you are able to stay focused. And now that state could be, people observe different colors, for example. People even start hearing sounds, different kinds of sounds. People have uh, weird images coming up in the mind. Okay, all those are perfectly fine examples of how the mind might be going through transformations during that state of, of deep meditation. Okay, so okay. Th that's perfect, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. And then, then, then that. Dhyana eventually will eventually will transition into samadhi, which is the total absorption, as they say, where you know you go through different stages of samadhi, and that's what we have been talking about in the last couple of sessions. Different okay. of samadhi, where then eventually the goal is to get so deeply absorbed that there is absolutely nothing else in the mind except that single object that you have been uh, focusing on. Okay. okay, so that's what we have been talking about now. So let's go back to my original uh, presentation that I was focusing on. Okay. All right, so what we did was, uh, you know, there is uh, this one, uh, for example, in chapter three, uh, the very first sutra defines dharana. Okay, so what, what it said was that concentration of dharana 
focus is the confining of the mind within a limited mental object. Okay, very broad kind of definition. The idea is to is to bring the mind into a focal point. Now that focal point could be external, could be internal, could be anything. Could be a sound, could be an image. Uh, you know, in, in, in the practices that we do, and a lot of other people do that also. You know, for example, we take a candle flame, okay, and look at that candle flame for a long period of time, okay. That's called trataka in Sanskrit, okay, candle gazing. Okay? You can uh, gaze at the at the at the rising sun, okay. Soon as the sun comes out of the horizon. You gaze at that sun for a few moments, maybe a minute or so, then close the eyes. And that afterglow of that sun will remain in your mind for a very long time. And that becomes a beautiful focal point for meditation, for, for the dharana practice. Okay? So there are many different techniques of dharana. Pranayama itself becomes a dharana practice. Right? So once you have train the mind through dharana to become one point focused then at any time during that time frame you can transition to your mantra meditation where you start chanting your mantra when that mantra meditation deepens that's when you start getting closer and closer to that state of samadhi and you can go back and forth you know there's always a transition to samadhi back to to dhyana, etc., etc., and then what Chandu said, for example, because you can start seeing images or or colors or people hear sounds, people you know see very confused images. They have no meaning. They have no uh, no way to interpret them. But that's what happens. Okay, and all that is perfectly fine because that's taking you away from your day-to-day garbage that goes on in the mind. So that's that, that's perfectly okay. All so right. I guess the ideal is to do this first thing in the morning, right? Yes. But if you get if you became really good at this, you should theoretically be able to do it anytime of the day, yeah, no matter yeah. what's happening. Yeah. Because yeah. it could be a way to center yourself back. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I am doing right before the sleeping session. Every day before sleeping, that's where I am doing because it. Before wrapping up, okay, let me go and sit for 20, 30 minutes and see how much I can do. That's what my technique is working well for me because every day keeping it, doing every day is the most important thing I'm trying to do. In that, before going to bed, I just sit next to my bed itself and then sit into this and do this 30 minutes, you know? Perfect. That's perfect. Anything that works for individuals, uh, you know, all, the, all that we that I recommend is that you should be you should do this uh, any yoga practice and meditation in particular on an empty stomach. So that means if you do it at night before going to bed, you should have had dinner at least two and a half hours before that meditation. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's very important. Otherwise, it's a beautiful time. You know, anything is fine. Okay. So that's dharana, and then dhyana was defined as uninterrupted flow of the mind towards the object chosen for meditation. Uninterrupted flow. <laughs> that's hard, but that's what dhyana has been defined as. So it's, you want to be able to maintain a very beautiful flow. And they always give the example of oil dripping from it, or oil being 
made from a from a from a hole, right? That all it's a beautiful flow, very continuous. Then samadhi has been defined when the 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 consciousness only of the object of meditation remains. Okay, and the word used is artha matra in Sanskrit. Artha matra means only the very essence of that object remains in your mind. Everything else goes away. Okay, and that's the samadhi part. Okay, then we moved on to you know the the very definition of the four stages of samadhi that Patanjali has provided. And this is what we talked about, uh, I guess, last session or the session before that. So this sutra number 117 is very important because it defines the four stages of samadhi. Okay, so what he says is, the four stages being defined are, the, the Sanskrit words are vitarka, vichara, ananda, and asmita. These are the four stages of samadhi, which he called sampragnata samadhi. Sampragnata, that is Sanskrit word. Okay. Pragna means knowledge, sampragnata means with knowledge of the object of meditation. That means all these four stages will have some aspect of the object of meditation in the mind at that time. Okay. Now, vitarka is absorption with awareness at the gross level. Vichara, subtle level. Ananda is kind of a bliss level, joy level, you know, the inner state of being totally free of any discomfort in the mind. That's bliss, you can call it. And asmita is the state where even bliss goes away. All you are at that point aware of is yourself, your pure essence of being. There is no other awareness. Okay. And this, because there is still an object of meditation associated with this, it's called sampragnata. And when that goes away, then he goes into the asampragnata. Okay? So asampragnata is where the, there is an impression left in the mind. Okay? So even when there is nothing going on in the mind, that leaves an impression of nothingness. What it says is that even though that impression will still be left, but there's nothing else going on in the mind, and that's the asampragnata samadhi, or the final state of samadhi, which at, at a later stage he calls it nirbija samadhi, or the samadhi without seed. Seed being the, the concept of that, of that pratyaya, or that content of the mind. Okay? So we went through all this last time. Now, today I want to get into this sutra. I don't think we did. Hmm? Where did we leave off last time? Uh, we left off at 122. Okay, so we're jumping ahead. So we'll be jumping ahead now. We're going to 141. This is where he starts going into details of different aspects of samadhi. All right. So, uh, from my perspective, what we are studying now is, in my understanding, in my opinion, this is perhaps some of the most uh, conceptually very difficult part of the, of the whole sutras. Difficult in the sense the concepts are there uh, because they pertain to stages that most of us are not familiar with. Okay, 
That's why it is still very conceptual. Okay, so we just have to kind of, in our own mind, we realize what they are. Okay, so as best as we can, because you know, to, to get there, it takes time. We're really in that state of samadhi. It takes so time. obviously, somebody must have experienced. Of this course, that's why these people are able to. Yeah, Patanjali, I'm sure he has experienced. That's why he can explain all that. <laughs> he has gone through all these things in, in depth, right? So in any case, let's, uh, uh, how come I don't have the meanings here? Huh. What meaning? No, he didn't have any room because that's a lot. Uh-oh, I need to do that. All right, I need to go back. All right, so what we've been doing is to uh, read the Sanskrit first, each word one at a time. And even though you might be muted, you can repeat after me, okay? Repeat each word after me. That way you get a feel for these Sanskrit words. All right, that's important. So the sutra is Kshina Vrittehe. And like I said, you can repeat after me. Kshina Vrittehe. Abhijata Sheva. Manehe. And the next words are Grahitra. Grahana. Grahyeshu, Tatstha, Tadanyanata, Samapattihi. Okay, so those are the Sanskrit words. Kshina Vrittehe Abhijata Sheva, Manehe, Grahitra, Grahana, Grahyeshu, Tatstha, Tadanyanata, Samapattihi. So I normally have word meanings here, but I think I missed out on these few sutras. So he's defining another term called samapatti. So there, there's a definition now, which is involved here. Samapatti is the word here. And it's similar to samadhi, uh, but, but we'll talk about the subtle distinction between samapatti and samadhi. Okay, so what he's saying is, this is samapatti is being defined here. How? He says that, that these three, Grahitra, Grahana, and Grahyeshu. What is Grahitra? One who is observing, one who is trying to grab things. Grahitra means the one who is the grabber, <laughs> in a sense. But in this case, observing. So what, we, what we're talking about, we have something in mind, and there is, uh, we, are, we are either observing something or experiencing something, and there is an instrument of that experience and finally there is one who is experiencing it. So there's an object of experience, there is the instrument of experience, and then the one who is experiencing, experiencer, okay? So Grahitra in that sense is the experiencer, Grahana is the instrument of experience, and Grahya is what is being experienced, object, all right? So to give an example, if I'm looking at this PC, <laughs> okay, this laptop, then this laptop is grahya because it is, the, it is the one which is being observed, grahya. That means one that is being obtained, that is being grasped, that is being observed, experienced. And how is it being experienced? It's through my eyes, right? So my eyes, in this case, are the instrument. And eyes are just the 
kind of the mechanical instrument, but there is a there is a component of of the mind associated with my eyes, which was which is going to cre create that image in the mind and then try to analyze that that it is actually a computer that I'm seeing and all that. So all that becomes a part of the grahana. And who is observing it? It's eventually my intellect is finally the receiver of this information, my intellect, which is finally going to decide what am I going to do with this image now? <laughs> okay, so it is going to receive an image. And of course, there's a lot of other stuff going on. There's an element of ego involved and ego will always put labels. If I'm looking at this PC, ah, it doesn't look right. You know, there's something wrong with this PC. You know? Oh, maybe it's too bright. Maybe it's not quite clear. All that labeling of stuff is done by the, by the ego, ahankara as it's called. All right. Having done that, then the, the, the final is final observer, final grahitra, okay? The one who is finally doing the observation or experience is the, is the intellect, which is the final sort of decision maker, all right? And so that's what it is all, all about. Now, what it says is that What you want to become is like a um, money. Money is, uh, the word money is from money. Money means a clear crystal, okay? Abhijatasya. Abhijatasya means which has been completely purified and cleansed out. A money or a crystal which has been completely purified, okay? The mind is like that. If once the mind becomes so purified as clear as a clean crystal. How does that happen? Kshina vritti. Vritti is all the stuff that goes on in the mind. The very, very, very first definition of yoga was yoga chitta vritti nirodha. That means the yoga by definition is the ability to, to, to suppress or calm these, this vritti or fluctuations of the mind, right? That was the very definition of yoga. The word kshina means diminish or, or make them very, very weak, super weak. Kshina means diminished or weakened. So once the mind whose vrittis or whose fluctuations have been diminished, minimized completely, then what happens is that you become identical with. Tadanjanata means identical. Tadanjanata, same color, basically. Anjan means color. Tadanjanata means you assume the same color, okay? Just like a, a, a clear crystal does. What does a clear crystal do? If it's a very pure crystal and you put a red cloth on, uh, next, next to it, it'll look red. If there's a green flower next to it, it look green. Because it is so pure, it is only going to reflect the color that's next to it. Nothing else. There's no mixture. It's the same with the mind when it is purified with the diminishing of all the vrittis, of all the fluctuations of the mind, then it is going to reflect the pure color of the object that it is concentrating on, that it is focused on, that it is thinking about. 
which is the mantra, for example, in my case. You know, that I, in my case, I say because, because I do the mantra meditation. If you have other objects in mind, that's perfectly fine, right? But it is going to be very beautifully, clearly only showing that object. And what he's saying is that these objects that you could be focusing on could be of three types. And those are the three types of objects. One is the, uh, the ob ob object of you, one of the observed thing, grahya, external object, or even some internal object, a thought, for example. Grahana is the instrument of, of observation. That means you could be focusing on the eye itself, or the ear itself, or the sense of seeing, or the sense of, of hearing. That could be your object of meditation as the grahana, the, the instrument. Or you could be focusing on the, on the ego itself, or the buddhi itself. <laughs> anything basically all right so this is exactly what he's saying here so that when you are so deeply able to absorb in any one of these three <coughs> then it becomes samadhi eventually it is same thing as samadhi basically but here the subtle distinction is that you're only being you're only focusing on an object in samadhi, it's kind of a general state where you are totally absorbed in something, you know, uh, without any. But here, there is a focal point absorb, absorption involved. I mean, that's my understanding. And some commentators have different views on what samapatti is and why is it different from samadhi. Uh, at a broad level, to me, it's the same thing basically. There's not not a huge difference between samapatti and samadhi. But he uses, Patanjali uses a different term, so obviously there is a subtle difference. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't introduce a new term. But uh, it's very subtle. So the, the meaning given here is just as the naturally pure crystal assumes shapes and colors of objects placed near it, so the yogi's mind, with its totally weakened modifications, becomes clear and balanced and attains the state devoid of differentiation between knower, noble, and knowledge. This culmination of meditation is samapattihi. So you can be either be absorbed in the knower, or the knowable, or the knowledge itself. That's the, that's the translation by Swami Satyananda. That's what I have put here. Is that sentences bother me though? Because is it saying that you're not differentiating between those three things, but you're just like in a state of oneness with them? But the oneness with the whatever your object that you're thinking about, whether it's the whether it's the the object itself, the outside object, or it's the instrument of knowledge, or the knower of of that experience. To be focusing on any one of these, and you become one with that eventually. You don't give in to those other three processes. Hmm? Mental, you don't give in to those other three mental processes. Right. Okay. That's why I said it's a very difficult thing, you know. <laughs> okay, so uh, my notes are very simple here. A uh, few notes here. Mind becomes like a pure crystal when all fluctuations have subsided. 
and then it is dominated by sattva guna that is very important to know that more subtle and the more clear the mind is the more it is dominated by sattva guna remember three gunas are there rajas and tamas and then rajas and tamas gunas have been subdued that's important to recognize and like a pure crystal it then gets colored by or totally engrossed in any object presented to it and object could be the observer observed or the instrument of observation as i said grahana grahitra or grahya those are the three terms used by patanjali in the sanskrit language then observed are gross or subtle instrument of observation are subtler and observer pure intellect is the subtlest this engrossment is called samapatti i have a comment yes please i mean the, if you go back to the previous slide the there it says that the fourth one or yeah the second line where the pure crystal assumes the shape and color of objects placed near it mm-hmm. i'm not sure how many people have seen that uh, because it becomes very easy if we you seen such a scenario where a crystal is placed in front of the car, of a flower as you mentioned that 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 picks up a visual representation for a person for us to feel that i mean because in the words describe it but it is very difficult to understand i have not seen how many of us have seen it but i got a i was fortunate to see like example when i went to chidambaram mm-hmm. most of the time when you see the crystal is all about lord shiva that they depict to lord shiva mm-hmm. that his uh, shivaling is is a purely made crystal Yes. and they put that crystal in front of the flower yellow flower or red flower mm-hmm. that crystal comes out into that color easily you know mm-hmm. that gives you a very very visual picture how we should also transcend into that state that's what i remember by by remembering that scenario and oh, yes, yes that that will be ultimate but that becomes easy to understand and uh, how we should become like that just i want i thought i will share that very good point chandu that's an excellent point because that's how it is you know we i have seen in some temples that crystal uh, shape you know shivalinga uh, which is very very pure and it does reflect that color that it placed next to it is very beautiful good image yep okay so now uh, you know we have Uh, talk about this gross to subtle, subtle to subtler, and subtler to subtlest. And uh, this is what actually all this comes from this philosophy called sankhya. Is everyone familiar with the term sankhya? <laughs> sankhya philosophy. I mean, no. I heard that word uh, from a Tibetan. buddhist uh, one of the buddhist uh, they they are different colors black and red and uh, yellow i think sankhya group of buddhist they do meditation in different forms when i visited my tibet uh, 
trip i remember that that's all i can say i mean <laughs> what we are talking about something totally different here sankhya okay. is one of the six philosophical streams in india there are six streams of, of philosophy in india and sankhya is one of them okay and patanjali uh, based his yoga sutra on some of the very basic concepts from sankhya and this is one of the very basic concepts in sankhya which i am going to just go through very quickly here in this picture we we have talked about this picture many many times in the past and but i just want to bring it to your attention according to the sankhya there are two entities okay one is called purusha which is the soul or the consciousness i can show it here uh, you can see my cursor moving right yes okay so that's called the purusha and then the other element is called prakriti okay this is prakriti all right so now purusha is the only thing only element only entity which has consciousness prakriti is has no consciousness okay but prakriti is what creates this entire universe including our human individual self all right so in the unmanifest state when there is nothing else going on it is a balanced state of the three gunas sattva rajas and tamas okay so when they are balanced no activity no creation can go on but somehow that balance is disturbed this element rajas is more activated and that's why this whole creation happens and from the point of view of the individual you know you and i these are the elements that we are composed of they are called 23 tatvas evolution of the 23 element they are called 23 tatvas tatva t a t t v a that's the sanskrit word elements so the first one is buddhi which is the intellect right here the top one that's the subtlest next one it creates ahankara which is the ego or the self identity and then ego itself will create two streams one to the left which is done by the sattva the other to the right of the start tamas okay and in this one there are these 11 entities that are created mind and the five sense organs which is eye ear nose skin and the tongue okay sense organs and five organs of action karmendriyas hands feet speech and the organs of elimination and organs of procreation these are the 11 that are that are created by the sattvic element of ahankara and then the tamasic element of ahankara creates the five tanmatra subtle sense perceptions sound touch form or or shape or okay and taste and smell and each one of them then produces the these five gross elements they are called the mahabhutas or great elements or gross elements so sound produces ether or space akasha touch produces air form produces fire taste fire or 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 uh, heat light also it's called light taste produces water and smell produces earth so these are the five mahabhutas and of course everything else gets constructed with the help of these five uh, great elements everything in the universe that we see whether it's a book or a computer or 
tree or whatever else we see, they're all, at the very basic level, they are a composite of these five elements. Of course, there are other elements there too. Okay? So that's how the whole uh, uh, creation happens. And this is, the idea of showing this is that this is the gross level. These five Mahabhuta are at the gross level. But then these five subtle elements are, they are at the subtle level, subtler level. Okay? These 11 are gross. Then the ego is subtle. All right. So, and then what, because there is a cause and effect effort going on here, it's, you know, the, the word they use in, in the Sankhya philosophy, I don't know if you've heard that term, it's called Satkarya Vada. Anybody heard the term? Satkarya Vada? Yes. Okay. What do you understand by Satkarya Vada? Doing the right things. No, 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 no. Satkarya Vada is a very specific term used by Sankhya. Okay. It, it means that there is an inherent cause and effect relationship between all entities. Okay. A cause, an effect is inherent in the cause. You know, an example would be uh, butter is inherent in milk. <laughs> but you have to do something to, to create that. Yogurt is inherent in milk, but you have to do something to create that. But it is all there. It is in, inherent in that. So an effect is always inherent in the, in the cause. And that whole philosophy, which is the, the cornerstone of Sankhya philosophy, it's called Satkarya Vada. That's the name of this, you know, everything is Vada, right? Vada is a philosophy. <laughs> okay. So that's what it is called. So here, Prakriti, which is the unmanifest state, is the cause for Mahat or Buddhi. Okay, so Buddhi is inherent in Prakriti. That's what it, the Satkarya Vad would say, somehow. Same thing, Ahankara is produced from Buddhi, but it is inherent in Buddhi in some, some form. And all it needs is some man, manipulation to create this, etc. And everything then, which is a cause, is at a subtler level compared to the effect. Effect is always grosser than the cause. So at this is at the grossest level. Okay, then the subtler level, even more subtler. And as far as the 23 elements are concerned, buddhi is the subtlest. But even subtler than buddhi is prakriti, okay, which is the absolutely subtlest of all, because that's the main cause. There is no cause for prakriti. So you cannot see anything above that. Purusha, it's horizontal with a dotted line. It has nothing to do with creation. Okay? Purusha does nothing. It only observes everything. Drashta. All right. So let's move on. I wanted to show, share this because it will have impact on our understanding of the subsequent sutras. Okay. So we said that this samapatti is becoming clear like a crystal 
and then being able to reflect exactly what we are looking at. Now, uh, in the sutra that we saw earlier, let me just go back to the sutra so you have a reference point. Remember this, we said there are four stages of samadhi, vitarka, vichara, ananda, and asmita. All right. So vitarka was absorption at a gross level, vichara, subtle level, ananda at the bliss level, and asmita was pure essence. All right. So now he is going to, what he's going to do is to tell us that there are further subdivisions of this vitarka. So the first one he says is savitarka. And then just to again show you that the next one is going to talk about is nirvitarka. So vitarka itself he has divided into savitarka or, or vidvitarka and nirvitarka is without uh, the grossness, okay, and we'll de he'll define that, or define these terms. What is Savitarka? This is the Sutra number 42. All right, so it says, I'm going to again uh, read the Sanskrit words, and you can repeat after me, uh, just to get a feel for the Sanskrit terms. Tatra, Shabdartha, Jnana, Vikalpaihi Sankirna Savitarka Samapattihi. So Tatra Shaddarth Jnana Vikalpaihi Sankirna Savitarka Samapattihi. That's the Sanskrit phrase. So he is defining this term called Savitarka Samapatti. In the 41, he defined what Samapatti was. And now he is adding this servitarka, okay, gross, okay. Now that is defined by as one that is sankirna. Sankirna means mixed up, completely mixed up or confused or totally uh, messed up in a sense. I, I don't want to call it messed up, but mixed up. All right, all right. Mixed, mixed up with what? Mixed up with these three elements, Shabda, Artha, Jnana. There are three terms here, Shabda, Artha, Jnana. Those are the three. And when these three, and I'm going to explain what they are, but the idea to understand is that when these three are completely mixed up in the mind, when you cannot uh, distinguish between these three, okay, you kind of not clear about these three separately, then that's called Savitarta Samapati, and all that has happened at the gross level. Okay, so now the meaning given is that, that Samadhi in which name, form, and knowledge. So Shabda is the name or the sound. Okay, Shabda is the, the word Shabda means name or the sound. Actually, I should put name or sound. Okay, so samadhi in which name or sound, form and knowledge of them. Jnana is knowledge. Arth, so shabda, artha means the, the pure essence. Okay, 
So the name or sound form. That's not correct in my understanding. Form. I'm going to change this. It's not form. Artha means not necessarily form. But let's keep it that way and then we'll understand what exactly it means. In the book it says sound, word, or name. Shabda is the word itself. Oh, that's what they have. It has an equal sound, word, name. That's just for Shabda, right? Yeah. And then what about Artha? Um, it says meaning, object, or form. Yes. Which book is that? Yeah. So that's what it is. Meaning or the object. Okay. That's why form is given. That's fine. All right. So, so that's the idea here that that in this form of meditation, the, the word or the sound of it, essence of it, and the, the overall meaning of it is all mixed up. Now, <laughs> you know, in terms of an example, uh, this guy, Vyasa, the commentator, gives the example of a cow. You know, I laugh at it because in my mind, nobody, nobody is ever going to meditate on, on a cow, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so why give that example? But I guess he gave it only because it makes it a little more clear and cows are very common in those days. Everyone has a cow. So that's why he gave the, the example of a cow. But let, let's see what that means now, okay? So it implies meditation in a gross aspect, all right? Shabda is the word in written form or the sound produced when uttered. That's Shabda. Artha is the essential meaning or the true essence of the object of meditation, whether it's the form or some other thing. And Jnana is whatever knowledge that you have about it that is stored in your memory as a part of your samskara. Okay, that's all that knowledge. And these three are very distinct and separate, but appear mixed up or confused during meditation. So you're constantly going back and forth as if they are all the same. Okay? But then this also can be used as an approach to meditation. That's what I teach in my classes that pick up, pick an object of meditation and understand these three related to that, and then see if you can identify which one comes to mind at a given time. Okay. So, uh, like I said, Vyasa uses a cow as an example. So the Shabda is the word or the sound, the uttered sound of the word cow, and it's a linguistic indicator. You can say a cow in English, uh, in Sanskrit it's called go, just like the word go, G-O, that's how the Sanskrit word is for cow. And in some other language, it's a very different word. But it's a linguistic indicator. That's just a word, and it could be when you when you pronounce it, then it becomes a sound. Okay, that's the shabda part. Artha is the essential meaning. Okay, what's the essential meaning of this word? It represents a real cow, which is a real uh, blood and mammal. Mammal, you know, grazing grass or whatever you know. That's the realistic image of that object. That's real thing. 
So that's the artha part. And then jnana is all the peripheral knowledge. And I've given here examples. It's name. You might have given a name to that cow, you know, if you own it. You know, people give names to their dogs and cats. Same thing. Its origin, maybe it came from Africa or India or wherever. What kind of species it is, you know, how much price you paid for it. Uh, what kind of food it is, what kind of milk it gives, how much milk it gives, and what, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of things might be stored in your memory related to that object called cow. So these are all intellectual things that are not emotional things. It could be emotional too. It could be emotional. Absolutely. Where it could be that, emotional too. Where would it fit? Where would that fit? Jnana. It all fits in jnana part. That would be perceived peripheral knowledge. Though. Peripheral knowledge. Because you could have an object, say you have a cow, for example, you know, and the moment you hear the word cow, you feel afraid because some someday you know, the cow might have tried to hit you or something. Right? I'm just make, making things up. There's an emotion involved in that. Uh, that all is a part of this peripheral knowledge, jnana part. Okay, you have uh, a word that you are meditating on, suddenly some anger shows up in the mind because, oh my God, you know, even though we, I'm just picking an example now. Let's say you are meditating on the word peace, or you're being peace, 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 peace. And suddenly the thought comes, oh my God, we want peace in the Middle East, peace, 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 or this guy, you know, and then suddenly that anger comes up. You, know, you think of that guy who created all kinds of massacre, and then that anger comes up. Even though you're thinking of peace, you're chanting peace in the mind, but anger comes up because you thought of something uh, you know, that's related to that. All that will be a part of jnana, peripheral knowledge. Knowledge just sounds like something. Knowledge to me doesn't imply emotions, though. It's everything, basically. Jnana is everything that, to me, uh, it's in, involved, everything that's in your mind related to that object of meditation. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess memory and sense corresponds to that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, so that's the Savitarka Samapatti. Savitarka means with the knowledge of the gross aspect of that entity. Now, he defines the next one, Nirvitarka. Okay, Nirvitarka is. Let me just again. Uh, read the sutra here. So again, you can repeat after me. Smriti Parishuddhau Swarupa Shunyeva Artha Matra Nirbhasa Nirvitarka. So, Smriti Parishuddhau, Swarupa Shunyeva, Artha Matra Nirbhasa, Nirvitarka. That's the Sanskrit phrase. So, again, the final word is Nirvitarka. That's being defined, Nirvitarka. How is it being defined? Okay. Let me read the, the meaning in English first, given by Swami Satyananda, and then we can understand the word by word meaning. So when the memory is well purified, the knowledge of the object of concentration shines alone, devoid of the distinction of name and quality. Okay? 
दिस इज निर्वितर का समाधि और समाधि ऑन ग्रोस आस्पेक्ट सो लेट्स अंडरस्टैंड वर्ड बाई वर्ड मीनिंग फर्स्ट थिंग इज स्मृति परिशुद्ध परिशुद्धि मीन्स प्योरिफिकेशन क्लेंजिंग स्मृति मीन्स मेमोरी सो रिमेंबर फर्स्ट थिंग वॉन्ट टू डू is to is to not be bothered by what's in the mind related to that object okay, that's all in the memory like i said you know everything comes up in the mem- from the memory or oh, this is such and such there's certain such you know all kinds of stuff comes up from the memory so we want to be able to subdue or suppress all that stuff that comes up from the memory and that's what it's called smriti parishuddha on the 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 word means on the cleansing of all the purification of that part of the memory which contains all the information related to that object on the purification what happens swarupa shunya eva swarup means your own nature basically shunya means complete absence so if i say that i am meditating on a certain object okay that now through this process of meditation my memory is getting cleansed out i am trying to forget everything related to that object okay and swarup me my own fault i am also forgetting that i am the meditator at that point even that's gone okay what is remaining arthamatra what shine nirbhasa means shines through what is shining through arthamatra means alone nothing else but the earth remember what the earth was earth was the very essence of the object okay nothing else remains in your mind not the the word itself if i'm think let's take an example of a mango right i always like mangoes right so if you take, take an example of a mango and i am focusing on its taste to me that's the earth part that the essence i love the taste of the mango and on my tongue i feel that taste and now at a point when i'm able to focus only on that taste okay at that point i don't even know that it is the taste of mango i don't even remember that word mango so i have forgotten the shabda part no mango in my mind i have forgotten everything related to the mango where i whether i bought it at the harris teeter or somewhere else all that peripheral knowledge that was originally associated with the mango i have forgotten that but i am only focusing on that shape of the mango the mango itself that's it. that's that that's all i am concentrating on and then nothing else comes to mind only that physical shape of the mango maybe its color maybe its hardness texture that's it for me that's the earth part at that point okay so that is the the way i have understood this nirvitarka samadhi where you have completely eliminated everything that's going on in the mind related to that object you purified the mind okay and everything that was coming into the mind whether it was read from the books you know you might have read from the books that or oh, there are 575 varieties of mango that's i've read somewhere uh, okay But an example you're giving, you sounds like you're still you're still meditating on the form of it. 
It doesn't matter. That's the physical form. That's so the, you can still you can still meditate on one aspect of yes, it. Yes, yes. But all the rest of them should follow. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. That's the whole idea. Right. One aspect. Just one aspect. Just one aspect. Yes. You take that, that becomes your artha. That's what he's talking about. Arthamatra. That's all that remains. If you're focusing on a cow, then focus on the shape of the cow. That's the form of the cow. But that's all that should remain, nothing else. All right. Any anything on this one? Any thoughts or comments that come to mind? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, no comments. Very good. Okay, so that's Savitarka and Nirvitarka. So let me uh, read the my own notes here. Okay, so recall three categories of knowledge: direct perception, inference, and verbal testimony. Does anybody remember that? <laughs> From Sutra 1.7. Three categories of perception or of knowledge. Does anybody remember the Sanskrit names for these three? Pratyaksha, Agamanam, and. Uh, yes, yes. Good, good, good. One more. Very good. One more. Uh, verbal testimony. Uh, no, that's Agama. <laughs> that's Agama, right. So, Pratyaksha, Anuman? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Very good. So Pratyaksha, Anumana, and Agama. Okay. And uh, Pratyaksha is this direct perception. Remember, when we perceive something to the five senses, that becomes Pratyaksha. Okay? That's very clear. If I see somebody, I know it's uh, who it is. If I'm looking at Eleanor right now, I know it is her. Okay, because it's Pratyaksha, it's direct from my five senses. Inference is something, as you know, you infer something. You know, I'm sitting here right now and I'm looking at the window. And there's some sunlight coming, but I cannot see the sun. But because of the sunlight and based on my past experience, I know there is sun shining in the sky. That's called inference. And verbal testimony is, you know, you trust somebody's word for, for knowledge. So, okay, so, so I'm sitting here and uh, somebody says, oh, it's raining in volume. And even the sun is shining here. And if I trust that person, then I would assume that what he's saying is true. So that becomes my knowledge that it's raining and dwelling, even though it's bright here. Okay, that becomes verbal testimony. But in general, verbal testimony is usually applied to ancient scriptures like the Vedas and Upanishads and Yoga Sutras, Bhagavad Gita and all, but they claim to have the perfect knowledge. So now purification of the memory implies removing ego's reference to all inference and verbal testimony from memory. All you want to have is the direct perception only. But that's the only thing that's true for you. What you receive through direct perception. So mind is totally absorbed in the true form of the observed object of meditation. Of these three, Shabda, Artha, and Jnana, only Artha remains essential meaning or essential meaning you know is one word way of looking at it but it could be anything it could be form it could be any of the aspects of of that entity that you're focusing on and no descriptive words or labels are needed for total absorption 
for these words, they'll mess you up. But the moment you have a word, then again your ego will come in. Oh my God, this is good or bad, this is ugly or handsome, and all that stuff will come in. And mind loses its own identity as an instrument of observation. That's Swarupa Shunya, that's the word he uses. Remember in this sutra, Swarupa Shunya. That means you lose it, your own identity as an observer. Okay. All right. So, uh, I think I'd like to stop here now. So, we did 143. Yeah, I'm going to make a note of it. All right. Any questions so far? Like I said, this is heavy stuff. This is not easy. Uh, this will take a lot of study, contemplation on your part, understanding through various commentaries. Uh, you know, I have been studying these sutras, these meditation sutras for a long time, and I still, I still cannot say that I understand them 100%. Still don't have the absolutely deep meaning of everything. Partly because in my own meditation, I'm not at that stage of deep samadhi, which they are talking about. Okay. So uh, it's a work in progress at this. <laughs> Any, anyone is there who, who, who attained the, the samadhi state of meditation? I mean, these people who, you know, all these well-known yogis and swamis, they're all there. I mean, hey, some, uh, one way of looking at it is somebody says, right, even if somebody attains, right, it's that kind of information where uh, even if they try to explain to us, we will not be able to appreciate it. So it's rather rather than saying something that's going to be seem like, uh, yes. right, because we don't experience it for somebody to explain it doesn't make any. So that's why I think in the even the rishis, when somebody asked, have you seen God, they always say neti neti. And no. that's a reference that uh, he has seen it, but uh, there is no way to explain it because uh, uh, it, exactly. it, it, it is beyond the Prakriti aspect of the world that we know, right? So unless you are aware of it, I, I guess that is my interpretation of it. And that's why whoever experiences ideally would not tell you that he has seen and that's the mystery about it. Yeah, because we are not, in, we are not there to understand or even to... Even they can share their experience. We are not it's like, ready to. Yeah, like somebody said to me, like if a child asked me, you know, where, like where, where did I come from? So we say, I came from mama's tummy. But we all know that's not the, <laughs> that, that's not the absolute truth, right? But at that stage in time, this is all you can tell this person because that's what he'll understand at this stage. And that's what I guess the sutras and all are, you know what? They, they, they tell you very limited stuff, but you have to induce and go further to, uh, I don't know. Again, this is just... Uh, Eventually, everything has to be experienced, as they say. Yes. Words and, and explanations are only a, a kind of a gateway. Eventually, you just have to experience it yourself. Then that's the only way to understand all these things in depth. Otherwise, words can confuse you. <laughs> no, also, I think sometimes it can discourage you a little bit, too. Well, I mean, well, when you've written like with all this stuff, you think, well, I'm never going to get there. <laughs> but you just that's have to... again, that's the ego saying, I'm never going to get there. But then right. if, if you keep the ego uh, at bay and then keep going at it, you know, saying, telling yourself that, look, this is the only way, there's no other way. And see it as a process. It's, it's a not process. something that you're not going to do yeah. overnight. 
I mean, there is an endpoint, but that endpoint could be multiple lifetime lifetimes away. Who knows? So let's not get discouraged. <laughs> okay, so uh, like you do every time, we'll sit for five minutes of quiet time now. Everyone just close your eyes, sitting for five minutes.
close your mantras now. Recite Om one more time, just once now. Inhale. Invocation one more time. Sage Patanjali. Let's bring that up. In here. <clears throat> योगेन चित्तस्य पदेन वाचाम मलम शरीरस्य च वैद्यकेन योपाकरोत्तं प्रवरं मुनीनां पतंजलिं प्राञ्जलिरानतोस्मिन् पतंजलिं प्राञ्जलिरानतोस्मिन् Abahu Purushakaram Shankachakrasidharinam Sahasrashirasam Shvetam Namami Patanjalim Shanti Mantra Om Asatoma Sagamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Nityorma Amritam Gamaya Om Shanti 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 Thank you all very much. Thank you everybody. Have a great day, great rest of the weekend. If you have any questions, please ask. Otherwise, we can close this session.